We'll be reading chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Would you join me as we pray? Father, this morning, I pray that we would come to understand, come to know your truth, the importance of your truth. Thank you for your word, which is profitable for our soul. Oh, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning the very truths that you would have us to know. We're grateful that you know us so well. I pray, Father, that our hearts, our minds, our attention this morning would be upon you. 
would be upon what your word says. I pray, Father, for that same attention to your word as we live our days. We would not be ignorant of what your word says, that we might know how to walk. Thank you, Father, for guiding us and for being our good shepherd. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Let's try that one more time. Let's, good morning. You know what? First of all, I, I thought this morning as I was preparing, as I'm looking at this text, this morning, I believe it's an, a great opportunity to collectively just praise the Lord for providing the narrow gate for us to enter. Amen? He's provided a narrow gate. I think it's also appropriate for us to praise Him this morning for even the difficult way that He's provided for us. We can praise Him for that. So I'd just like to begin with praise. This is an opportunity to just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for providing a way for me. And I think that sometimes we fail to just say thank you. Sometimes we are very good at not coming back, just like those lepers did. Remember that? Saying thank you. I believe that's an appropriate place for us to begin, probably every week, but this week in particular, we're going to begin with that. And, you know, I'd just like to point you to the one who, in John 14, 6, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. You see, church, Jesus has made it possible for you to have life, for you to have life. You might have a pulse. In fact, it might be good just to check this morning. Just to check. You might have a pulse going as you're sitting here. But some of you may not have the life of Jesus in you. Jesus came, the Bible says, to give you abundant life. Some of you perhaps are settling for a pulse. Jesus died and he, and he opened a way for you to enter into a relationship like no other. A relationship with the very king of kings. A relationship with the one sent from God. A relationship, however, that demands your very life. A relationship, in fact, that requires your attention to truth. You remember the encounter Jesus had with Pilate? In John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate asks him a question. Are you a king? Jesus answered and said, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Listen to this. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. Now, Pilate goes on to inquire about truth, and he asks the question, what is it? I would like to pose a different question this morning. Are you of the truth? Maybe ask it a different way. Do you regularly hear his voice? Have you connected hearing his voice and walking in truth? 
As you enter the narrow gate and walk the difficult way which leads to life, do you take the truth of Jesus Christ and apply it to your living? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. Now next week, Jesus is going to specifically connect hearing with doing, isn't he? In today's text, Jesus is calling your attention to a potential stumbling block along this difficult way. He's preparing you to take up the belt of truth. Remember that belt of truth? It's what we're all called to be taking up as we put on the armor of God. One of the pieces of the armor is the belt of truth. Time to strap that bell of truth on, church. Jesus is sounding another warning here in the text. To those in Christ. To be on guard. To be watchful. To be on the lookout. Against what? Look at the text. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly. They are ravenous wolves. Beware. Beware of false prophets. Jesus has just finished teaching on the two ways people are traveling in this life, right? He pointed out very clearly that there is one way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So after establishing the narrow gate in the difficult way as the right path to take, he goes immediately to another command. Beware. Beware of false prophets. Now the fact that this warning comes right after verses 13 and 14 tells me something contextually. The difficult way, we're going to talk more about this as we go, but I'll put it out there for now. The difficult way requires that I know and walk out the truth of Jesus Christ. Truth becomes a valuable commodity when confronted with falsehood, doesn't it? When there are other voices that come your way, church. It's the truth that sets you free, isn't it? John chapter 8, 31 and 32. Knowing the truth, that truth sets you free. Oh, what about the psalmist? If you turn to Psalm chapter 40 and just read a few verses. Verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Look at verses 9 and 10, same chapter. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. You see, it's the truth that guards you against wandering from the way of understanding Resting in the assembly of the dead, the proverb writer says in Proverbs 21, verse 16. 
I believe there's two big ideas here in this text Jesus is presenting. And there, and there, there may be some other things that we could look at, but two bigger ideas. The first one's in verse 15. Beware of false prophets. What lies ahead through this narrow gate? And then verses 16 through 20. You will know them by their fruits. How can you identify these false prophets? How? Let's look first at verse 15. Beware of the false prophets. A question right up front as we look at this. Is, is Jesus speaking of something specific to the first century only? No, I don't believe so. The false prophet has been around since Jesus' day. And in fact, the false prophet goes all the way back into the Old Testament days. In case you're wanting to know where. and There are many passages, no doubt we could turn to. The prophets speak to this in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. But I'd like to turn back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, I'd like to read just a bit. Beginning at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 13. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or his wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God, you might mark this one. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. There it is again. Obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken. Listen to this. Why has he spoken? We give insight into why he's spoken. He's spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord, your God. He's not done. He keeps talking. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage. Here it is. Here's another one. To entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Do you see? Back here in Deuteronomy. Do you see what this false prophet was after? This dreamer of dreams. He was about turning you away from the Lord your God. He was about enticing you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. We think about a prophet, one who is called and commissioned by God to speak his words. The Bible is filled, is it not, with many prophets. I'm sure if we took time, we'd go down the row. We could just probably do this collectively together. We've got some like Elijah, Elisha, Nathan, who was a prophet, spoke to David. We see actually a false prophet, the name of Hananiah, who was a contemporary with Jeremiah. We see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Right, we can just keep going through the end of the Old Testament. The prophets. John the Baptist came as a prophet, foretelling 
the Christ to come. Jesus himself was seen and viewed as the prophet prophesied. In fact, we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. In that same chapter in Deuteronomy 18 verse 18, it goes on and says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. This is God speaking here. And listen to what he does. And will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Church, this is the essence of a true prophet. God's words are put in his mouth and he speaks all that is commanded by God. A few verses later, Deuteronomy 18. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass... That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Did you hear the question that's being posed in Deuteronomy 18? How shall we identify what the Lord is saying? Is there a way to identify the truth of this prophetic word? Same questions were asked back in the days of Moses. Jesus, in Matthew 7, 15, says to beware of false prophets the false prophet is eventually seen to be a fake the word can also in a, in a, in a context in the scripture be used to designate a swindler a deceiver one who is bent oftentimes on accomplishing his own purposes his own objectives selfishness no doubt is at the core in what sense is he false might be good, might be helpful from the Bible to point out what are some ways in which this person, this prophet, this teacher would be false. Well, Matthew chapter 15, we see that Jesus puts forward these words in chapter 15, 7 through 9. One way in which they're false is that their heart is far from God. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Their heart is far from God. What else? In what sense are these false prophets false? Well, I think we could look at John chapter 7 verse 18 and we could say that their doctrine's not sound. Their doctrine's not sound. Jesus speaking in John chapter 7 and they're asking him questions about how he knows these things. This man having never studied. Jesus says my doctrine is not mine but his who sent me. Verse 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Jesus says. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Doctrine is not sound. What other sense is he false? Well, I believe we could see in the Bible that in Philippians chapter 3, Paul brings this out 
He's false in the sense he's an enemy of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, chapter 3. Many walk of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, here it is, who set their mind on earthly things. So they're false in the sense that their heart is far from God. Their doctrine is not sound. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Fourthly, I believe, holy living is absent in their lives. Holy living is absent. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. A portion of that passage says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Because it is written. Be holy because I am holy. Going back to Leviticus. You see, a false prophet has no interest in holy living. I'll give you a fifth one. In what sense he's false? He masquerades like his father the devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13-15 speaks of the masquerading as an angel of the light. John chapter 8 verse 44 speaks, Jesus is speaking directly. They're about, as he's talking to in the context of the, the Pharisees, some of the folks there that were arguing and in the midst of a discussion with him. And he essentially comes down and he says some very hard things, some very direct things, but nevertheless very true things. He says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. You see, when Jesus puts out the warning in Matthew 7, verse 15, I believe he's calling your attention to two things in particular. First of all, not only to take notice, be able to identify the false prophets that are present in the world. By the way, 1 John speaks to this as well. Okay? False prophets. Um, he mentions the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist who is present in the world. 1 John speaks of that. But I believe this text is also a warning, a wake-up call to take inventory of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Take inventory of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What do you mean, take inventory? I mean this. I want to make this as clear as I can. Don't want anyone leaving here muddying the waters on this one. The warning is issued... To beware of false prophets. But I believe there's an unspoken warning couched right in the midst of this as well. What do you mean? I mean that you need to take heed to yourselves, each one of you. You need to take inventory of this book. Do you know this book? For those of you that are sitting here, I would hope that all of you know of this book. Is this book in you? Is it a part of you? Does it go with you? We was reading this morning when talking through a little bit of the passage and the verse that came to mind was, was Psalm 119 verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Is that true for you? 
Do you love this word? Do you delight in this word? Do you believe that God's truth is contained here? Are you searching for it? As though searching for treasure. When confronted with error, does the Holy Spirit prompt you with the truth needed to counter falsehood? From this word. There was one writer, I believe, who was right on point with this, tied into exactly what we're talking about here in Matthew 7, 15. And he asked the question, what is the best safeguard against false teaching? He says, beyond all doubt, the regular study of the word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The Bible was given to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119, 105, right? It is the neglect of the Bible which makes so many a prey to the first false teacher whom they hear. A neglect of the Bible. The plain truth is that they are lazy and idle about reading the Bible and do not like the trouble of thinking for themselves. Nothing supplies false prophets with followers so much as spiritual sloth. Church, that's right on point. Some of you might not like that. I believe it's true. If we are going to be people of the book, it's important the book is in us. If we have the spirit of Christ in us, it's important that we exhibit and show the fruits of the spirit. We're going to talk more about the fruit in just a moment. Oh, but I believe there's much more here than just a warning to watch out for false prophets. There is a word for each one of you here today who are in Christ Jesus. I pray these words in Matthew 7, 15, I cause each one of us, each one of us to, to cling even more to, to the Bible, to cherish it as a gift, to be reminded that this word is profitable for your soul. This word has the power to save. It's the power to transform hearts and minds accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit. This word contains, church, the truth that you need to combat what Jesus is saying. Beware of. Have you noticed any false prophets around today? Anybody? People standing up to speak on behalf of God. People who are people who are great speakers, polished orators, perhaps, engaging, funny. They have a tendency to itch the scratch of many today. And this ought not be a surprise, church, because the Bible tells us about such thing happening. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is just on the heels of, of, of Paul telling Timothy, Preach the word! Preach the word! In season and out of season. Preach the word! And then a verse or two later he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But listen to this. According to their own desires. Isn't that the prelude to sin? 
because of their own desires they are drawn away, right? James chapter 1. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know what a fable is? It's not truth. (laughs) It might sound good. It might feel nice. It's not truth, church. The false prophets Jesus speaks of in Matthew 7, 15, they come to you, come to you in sheep's clothing. Speaks to the outward, visible representation. Speaks to how these false prophets work in and among the flock. You see, from the look of things, it can be hard to tell. From a distance, you might not identify them as a false prophet. You know, I was reminded of, in the book of Acts, remember when Paul is about to go to Jerusalem, but before he does, he's, he's in Miletus, and he sends off to have the Ephesian elders come. And there's a word that he, that he speaks to those elders. It's a passage that's near and dear to my heart, and the fact that I myself am an elder. But it ought to be a passage that each one of you take to heart. Especially as what we're talking about today in Matthew chapter 7. Because if you look at what he says, and I'll just begin in 28 of chapter 20 of Acts. Therefore take heed to yourselves, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Paul is speaking to these elders. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul says. What's he know? That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things. To draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch. Beware. You see. As we go back to Matthew 7. Jesus has told us about how they come. To us these false prophets. But he immediately goes to. What's on the inside. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. I was was reminded of 2 Samuel. Where God says, man looks on the what? Outside. But God looks on the heart. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching to the heart. Not to religious externals. And here he provides for us, praise the Lord. An inside look at these false prophets. Outside, they might appear to have it all together. They look the part. They have the prophet's attire, perhaps. They say all the right words. They're smooth, convincing in many ways. But Jesus says, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. I'd like to ask a question. What is characteristic of a wolf among sheep? 
Think about that for just a moment. Have you ever seen or observed a wolf among a flock of sheep? Some of you here perhaps have your farm. Perhaps you have some sheep. Perhaps you have seen that happen. I was studying a little bit today, uh, this past week, about wolves and sheep. It was interesting. I learned some things in particular about a wolf that I didn't know. I did learn some things about a sheep as well. And, you know, to help supplement my learning of, of the sheep, as the Lord would have it, as the Lord oftentimes does, I'm currently along with some eager young family members tending to Animal Watch at the Osbournes right now. Got to see those sheep a lot this week. Had to help rescue one this morning. They're not very intelligent creatures. Carl and Debbie, if you're listening, we're having a great time. It's been good learning. But you see, when a wolf gets loose in the midst of a bunch of sheep, havoc reigns. I watched a clip this week. It was a clip. It wasn't reenactment. It was a real clip of a shepherd who had a flock of sheep. And a wolf got in. And I watched what happened. It was frightening to see it. He circles the flock. The flock all get huddled together. He was eyeing his prize. See, we need to understand something about a wolf by definition. He's a carnivore, an animal suited for catching, killing, and eating other creatures. How many of you heard the expression, feast or famine? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. That phrase describes the life of a wolf. Because you see, they need a certain amount of meat each day to survive. Wolves don't necessarily eat every day. But what they do instead, they find, when they find a suitable prey, they can eat somewhere between 20 and 22 pounds of meat in a sitting. That's a lot of meat. They oftentimes practice this feast and famine philosophy. In fact, getting enough to eat is a full-time job for a wolf. That's what I come to find out this past week. In fact, did you know that the natural causes of wolf mortality are primarily starvation? They just don't get enough to eat. Church, I'm telling you all this to help you understand that a wolf is in search of prey to kill and to eat. Ravenous is a fitting way to describe the wolf. Jesus says that on the inside, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. On the inside, they will, if not identified and dealt with, destroy an entire flock. Here's something else I learned about the sheep. When a wolf enters in, they huddle together. And the strongest and the healthiest of the sheep made their way to the middle of the flock, leaving the weaker and the younger ones on the outside. An easy target for the ravenous wolf. Church, there's a lesson 
There's a, there's a lesson here in this. And I was reminded of Philippians chapter two and thinking about letting nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul says. I believe it's important for us to understand that a false prophet's not content being a sheep. His desire is to lead. Leaders who lead others astray, who point others away from the narrow gate. I believe it's safe to assume from the context that a false prophet is going to be one who is going to lead you away from the narrow gate and the difficult way. One who perhaps teaches a fuzzy doctrine, an incomplete doctrine. What do you mean by incomplete doctrine? One example might be advocating that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ without even speaking about sin, the sin that separates you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about in terms of an incomplete doctrine. Oh, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Yes, we need to come to Jesus. But no one is going to truly understand their need for a Savior unless they understand they have great need for a Savior. Unless they come to understand how pitiful and wretched they are in their sin. But there are many who don't like to talk about that today. See, when someone is, con- Jesus, it, Jesus is trying to help each one of us who are in Christ Jesus this morning. You see, when someone is constantly pointing to himself, to his agenda, to his own teaching, to his own ministry, to his own method. Church, you need to discern the voice. Is this voice of God or is this voice of man? Man's own devising. Does this man exhibit a spirit of humility? Is he more concerned about pointing people to his ministry, his teaching, his methodology, and his programs, more so than Christ? Is there any self-promotion that he has the market on what you need to do in order to walk with Christ? Is he willing to submit himself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under the mighty hand of God? You see, on the outside, you may not be able to detect such a person, but Jesus provides additional instruction in the text to help you out. Look at verse 16. And by the way, as an observer of the text, a question ought to come at the end of verse 15. If it's hard to identify them outwardly, how then am I going to tell who these false prophets are, Jesus? It's a great question. And Jesus provides an answer right here in verse 16. And he goes on to illustrate it in the next few verses by way of two trees. Look at verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Men do not gather grapes from thorn bushes. Nor do they gather figs from thistles. In other words, what springs out of 
a plant, the, the produce will indicate the nature of the plant. A thorn bush produces what? Thorns. If you're looking for grapes, you're probably going to be disappointed. If you're expecting with a thistle plant to find figs, you're not going to find them. From what I understand, from what I was looking at this past week, the thistle is a friend of the bird family, and in particular the finch. If you like a lot of birds, thistle's good to have, I suppose. Let me ask a question. What is the standard by which you are gauging the fruit? Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. So, as a believer in Christ, one entering the narrow gate, walking the difficult way, what kind of fruit would you expect to find in the life of another believer? More specifically, in context, what kind of fruit would you expect to find in the life of one who speaks on behalf of God? Those are good questions to ask of the text. I'd like to provide you with some help. There's some contextual help that's pretty simple, I believe, to give from where we've been in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Matthew 5, 3 through 10, we see the attitudes of a subject of the king. What kind of attitudes ought to be exhibited in this person? We see the Beatitudes. Gives us those attitudes. We see also in verses 13 through 16, we see the identity of the subject of the king. He is salt. He is light. We see verse 20, righteousness. His righteousness ought to surpass and exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. In chapter 6, 1 through 18, we see that the life of this one who has the fruit that God's speaking of here He ought to be living for the Lord and not for men. Remember his giving and his praying and his fasting ought not to be done as a show. It ought to be done for the Lord primarily. Is what he's doing, is it for the Lord or is he seeking applause somewhere else? In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, I believe one of the other characteristics we can see in terms of gauging fruit in this person's life, is he serving one master? Does he have one Lord or is he serving some other gods as well? Matthew 6, 25 to 34, is he seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Matthew 7, 1 through 6, is he quick? Is this this person quick to remove the plank from his own eye that he might see clearly to remove the the speck from from another brother's eye? Or how about Matthew 7, 7 through 11? Is his life directed? Is his life directed and patterned by asking and seeking and knocking? I believe more specifically the Bible instructs each one of us on the fruit that comes out of the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, the one who has Christ in him. Galatians chapter 5, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now let me ask you. Is the same standard by which you measure someone else, by which you gauge whether they are fruitful? Is this the same standard that you use in your own life? Is this the same standard by which you are living? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. Isn't there a wonderful assurance here in what he says? You will know them. 
the fruits of their lives will tell the story. Their lives, the pattern of their lives, the fruit of their ministry. Does it point to Jesus Christ? Does it have, as Paul says in his letter, an aroma of life? Is there evident fruit observable in his life? Now, Jesus, let's be clear. Jesus is not advocating we go and do some witch hunt for a false teacher. Okay? But the text here is a way to identify as you travel through the narrow gate who this person is. You see, the same fruit that I just described from the Bible, I didn't make it up, is the fruit you are to be producing as well. Each of us. In Christ. That's why I said up front that Jesus' warning, I believe, is really twofold warning. First of all, beware of false prophets, but secondly, see that you are producing the biblical fruit which serves as the standard. And he's going to come back to that. We'll talk more about that next week in 21, 22, and 23. Verses 17, 18, and 19. They take that, you will, then, you will know them by their fruits message. I'll take it a little bit further. Illustrating how it's so. On the heels of the two questions in verse 16, Jesus follows that up with a conclusion type of remark. Even so, in other words, as we do not gather one kind of fruit from another kind of tree, it's also true that fruits are good or bad according as the tree is sound or unsound. Look what the text says. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot, it's not possible, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Now sometimes, again, on the outside, it can, it can be difficult to, to discern. But I guarantee you, if you're taking one of those apples off the tree and you're going to go in and you're going to make something with that apple, and you peel that apple open, you see the inside of it, and you see, oh, this is rotten to the core. You'll be able to identify it. It's not going to taste very good. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Psalm 1 came to mind here. The contrast between the godly and the ungodly. And I was reminded in Psalm 1 verse 3, it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The very next verse says. The ungodly are not so. But they are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Verse 6. Listen to this. For the Lord knows the way. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Church it's important we understand. You're not saved by your good fruits, but your good fruits do identify you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples, he says. So our identification of a disciple is one who bears much fruit for the kingdom of God. John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, 
But I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you should go and bear fruit. Nobody's not done. And that your fruit should remain. Jesus is about to leave, isn't he? John 15. I appointed you and chose you that you might bear fruit. But... Also that your fruit should remain. Why? That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Jesus brings out the longevity of fruit bearing in the life of his follower. And here's what he does here. In this particular passage, he connects one's ongoing fruit bearing to the status of his prayer life before the Father. In Matthew 7, 19, church, Jesus describes the tree that does not bear fruit. Again, keep in mind, that he is teaching on how to identify, how to spot a false prophet. Beware, he says. Look at what happens to the tree that's not producing good fruit. It's cut down, the text says, and thrown into the fire. Now, Jesus seems to be advocating in verse 19 that the way of righteousness is to bear good fruits. Entering by the narrow gate, Walking the difficult way, this path is intended to bear good fruits. Characteristic of this way is good fruits. The false prophet is not interested in going through the narrow gate, nor is he interested in living a life that bears good fruits. You will know them by their fruits. And as if the listener might be inclined to to forget, Jesus concludes this passage with a repeat. Essentially, of verse 16. Look at verse 20. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Verses 16 and 20 are bookends that serve as answers to the question flowing out of verse 15. What's that question? How, Jesus, how can I identify these false prophets? Verses 16 and 20 bookend the teaching with, by their fruits you will know them. I believe the tendency here in the text is to accumulate Jesus' teaching and use it solely to identify the false prophet. That's definitely a part, a central part of what Jesus is teaching, no doubt, no doubt about it. But from an application standpoint, Jesus is not just providing good information as you travel through the narrow gate. The teaching is to help identify a false prophet in your midst, but it is also intended, I believe, to move you onward as a child of his. You get to the end of the preached text any week, but this week in particular we'll bring it forward, and you ask, so what? What, what, what difference can such a, a text make in the life of the listener? So what? Verse 19, church, awaken Each one of you. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Here's here's an application question I think we all need to ask. Am I bearing good fruit? Are you bearing good fruit as you sit here today? You know, there are some who perhaps have professed Christ for some time now. Some of you here are 10, 20, 30 plus years into profession of Jesus as Lord of your life. Just ask the question. Is there any fruit that's come out of your life? 
I hope, based on what you've seen in the word, that you come to see that a follower of Jesus is, is called to bear much fruit. For his glory. Please do not think that you can come on a Sunday and sit and hear a sermon. Participate in worship. Go home Monday through Saturday. Where you are unfruitful. And then come back here again on Sunday. Do it all over again. That's not fruitful living, church. Listen to what John the Baptist says to the Pharisees and Sadducees as they were appearing on the scene while he was baptizing in the Jordan. Remember the first phrase? Brood of vipers! <laughs> That's what he says, right out of the gate. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of what? Repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father... For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. There's a sense of judgment pending. He's putting that forward. Therefore, John says, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7. You know, as you make your way along the difficult path that leads to life, I believe it's so important that we remember who it is that's leading. Who's leading you? You remember that game as a child you used to play? Follow the leader. Remember that game? Whatever the leader did, you just did follow. They jumped up in the air. They raised their hands up in the air. You jumped up in the air and you raised up your hands in the air. And they would go wherever they would go and you would just follow them along. The game brought a lot of laughter, brings a lot of joy. But church, that's the very same thing that each one of us in Christ ought to be doing. Following our leader. Following our leader. If we are in Christ, our leader is Christ. We need to be following Christ. We need to remember the word calls us, and we see this, David, I read this this morning with the men in the circle. David identified God as his shepherd, didn't he? Psalm 23. Jesus identifies himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. The word here is be, beware of false prophets. They will wreak damage upon the flock and will turn you away. They will turn you away from the good shepherd, from your leader. John 10 verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Jesus, we need to remember, spoke these words prior to the cross. You sit here today on the other side of the cross. You see from scripture where the shepherd went. You see that he willingly laid down his life for his sheep at the cross. You were one of those sheep that he died. Sheep follow their shepherd. They hear his voice and they walk in his way. Church, I encourage you 
to hold fast to this word, to, as the Bible says in Joshua chapter 1, not turn from it to the right or to the left, but walk in the way that is prescribed by the king as the word of God gets in you and the Holy Spirit empowers you along this difficult way. You will be comforted and reminded always of your good shepherd. For that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. You see, he's, he's about pointing you to the very words of Christ. He teaches you and he encourages you in the things of Christ. He will not turn you away. But he will focus and illuminate your steps each day. In John 18, 37, where we began, Jesus spoke of bearing witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Here in Matthew 7, we read, beware of false prophets. They might be difficult to detect on the outside, but by their fruits you will know them. And the sheep of Jesus... Hear his voice and follow him. That's John 10, 27. Those who hear and follow him are of the truth. John 18, 37. Just as a note, I need, I, I believe, to press this just a bit further. The sheep of Jesus hear his voice. And they follow him. Man isn't the one they follow. Some of you are listening too much to the voice of men. I've pushed aside perhaps the voice of Jesus. You've substituted the voice of men for the voice of Jesus. Discern what you hear. Take it to the word. Be a Berean. Check it out to see that what I'm preaching or what someone else may be preaching. Is it true? Is it in the word? Be sure that you're hearing the voice of Jesus. Be sure that you're following Jesus. And not some cleverly designed scheme of man. Oh, take heed that you do not follow after every wind of doctrine that passes by. Let us grow up into maturity. Right? Ephesians 4 talks about that. Truth and falsehood. How do you know the difference? The one who pursues truth hears the good shepherd and follows him. He bears good fruit. He increasingly looks a lot like his good shepherd. This good shepherd who leads him in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 23, verse 3. That idea of him leading. He leadeth me. The hymn writer said it well. Oh, blessed thought. He leadeth me. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and 
Thank you for your word. Father, we declare to you this morning we need your leadership in our lives. We need to hold fast to you. Hold fast to your word. Hold fast to the leading of your spirit. Wherever we may be in our life, Lord, even just now as as speaking, there are some who are in the valley of the shadow of death. At least they feel that way. Father, I pray that you would comfort them with those words. Help them to understand that the psalmist, as he writes, speaks of going through the valley. He's not stuck in the valley. He's going through. And the reason he's going through and the reason he's going to make it is because he's assured of the promise. He's assured of the comfort. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, Lord, thank you for your leadership. Thank you that you lead us beside still waters. You lead us the path of righteousness for your name's sake. May we be content, Lord, whatever our lot, knowing that it is your hand guiding us. It is your hand leading us. Father, as we continue to follow you, Father, your word tells us with assurance that we're going to know these false prophets. We're going to know who these false teachers are. I pray they would not turn us away from you, our Lord, our Master. I pray we would not be tempted to serve other masters, other gods. I pray even that We would be mindful of what men say. We'd be mindful of not substituting the words of of God for the words of men. Pray, Father, that you would train us up through your word, through the teaching of your Holy Spirit, that we might know this prescribed way that you've given to us. May we walk in it with joy. And may there be in this path, in each one of our lives, much fruit. Father, there will be much fruit as we stay connected and as we abide in the vine of Jesus Christ. May it be so here in this body. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.